Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We mentioned on an episode of Unearthed recently that we have gotten listener requests for an episode on the Empress of Ireland. And I said this recent discovery of the ship's compass platform in the St. Lawrence River might move that topic up the list, and it did. Here is the episode. This is a shipwreck that happened just before the start of World War I, and it was the worst maritime disaster in Canadian history to happen during peacetime. It was also one of three major disasters over the span of just about three years involving ships that were all registered in Liverpool. The other two were the Titanic disaster, which happened in 1912, and the Lusitania, which would be sunk by a German U-boat almost exactly a year after this in 1915. While the Empress of Ireland is a big part of both Canadian history and the history of the Liverpool shipping and shipbuilding industry, It does not have nearly the name recognition today as those other two disasters do. The RMS, or Royal Mail Ship, Empress of Ireland, and its sister ship, the Empress of Britain, were both owned by the Canadian Pacific Railway Line. They were part of Canadian Pacific's growing steamship service between Europe and North America. And they were the first ships Canadian Pacific built specifically for its fast Atlantic service. The ships were both focused primarily on passenger service, but they both also carried mail and other cargo. The Empress of Britain was launched on November 11, 1905, and took its first voyage across the Atlantic Ocean in the summer of 1906. It was requisitioned for military purposes during World War I, but aside from that, the Empress of Britain offered regular passenger service across the North Atlantic until 1929. 
After its last scheduled transatlantic voyage, the Empress of Britain was taken out of service and then scrapped. The Empress of Ireland was launched on January 27, 1906, and also took its first voyage that summer. It sailed out of Liverpool, which was a major shipping, transportation, and shipbuilding center, and was a popular port of departure for people immigrating from Northern and Western Europe to North America. The trip on the Empress of Ireland took six days in each direction, two days on the St. Lawrence River and four to cross the Atlantic. So there were other shipping companies who were really focused on using luxury experiences to try to stand out from their competition, like the White Star Line, whose Olympic-class ships included the Titanic. And while there were people who used words like luxury to describe various amenities aboard these two sister ships, they were really meant more to be comfortable, reliable, and fast. They were nice but they were not, like, over-the-top fancy in their decor and their amenities like the Titanic had been. These ships had upper and lower promenade decks with protected spaces for deck chairs. There was a library, a cafe, and a music room, plus smoking rooms, social halls, dining saloons, that kind of thing. Some of these were reserved for first- or second-class passengers. The Empress of Ireland had cabins that could accommodate 350 first-class passengers, 350 second-class passengers, and 1,000 third-class, and to some extent, these could be reconfigured based on passenger demand. There are some accounts that describe third-class as steerage, but steerage makes it sound like a mass of people shoved below decks with no real accommodations for their comfort or safety. Third class was on the lower decks, and it definitely was not as spacious or upscale as first or second class. But there were passenger cabins, along with a third class smoking room, a ladies' salon, and a dining room. There was a space that could be used more like a dormitory with rows of open berths, but still everyone in third class had a cabin or a berth assigned to them. Every deck also had bathrooms and lavatories so that people did not have to go far from their cabins to use them. The ship was also built according to the safety standards of the time. This included being built with watertight compartments, and the ship could stay afloat if two adjacent compartments were flooded. There were also 24 watertight doors that could be closed off in the event of damage to the ship. After the Titanic disaster in 1912, the Empress of Ireland and its sister ship were also outfitted with additional safety equipment. The Empress of Ireland had enough lifeboats to accommodate 1,860 people, and that was set as its maximum capacity, even though the ship itself was capable of carrying more. There were also more than 2,000 lifebelts on board, 150 of them sized for children, and 24 life buoys or life preservers. The Empress of Ireland also had a Marconi wireless telegraph for communication and an underwater iceberg detection system. The Empress of Ireland left Liverpool for a routine trip across the Atlantic on May 15, 1914. It arrived safely in Quebec City, and on May 28th, it departed for its return trip to Liverpool. On board were 87 first-class passengers, 253 second-class, 717 third-class, and 420 crew. Captain Henry Kendall was in command, and this was the first time he had commanded a ship on the St. Lawrence River. But while he was new to this particular ship and this route, he was an experienced captain. 
He had 25 years of experience at sea and almost 12 years working for Canadian Pacific. About half of that time for Canadian Pacific had been in command of one of the company's ships. On board the Empress of Ireland were about 170 members of the Salvation Army who were going to London for a series of meetings known as the International Congress. This was the fourth time the Salvation Army had held such a Congress, with the previous ones being in 1886, 1894, and 1904. There were also about 300 workers who had been laid off from Ford Motor Company and were returning to Europe. The two most well-known people on board were probably married stage actors Lawrence Irving and Mabel Hackney, who were returning to Britain after a tour of Australia and North America. The other ship involved with this disaster was the Norwegian ship SS Storstad, owned by A.F. Clavinus and Company and built in 1910. The Storstad was a cargo ship that primarily carried coal and ore. It had a maximum capacity of roughly 10,800 tons of cargo. Master of the ship was Thomas Anderson, who had taken command when the Storstad was only a few months old, so that gave him about three years of experience as the captain of this ship. When the collision took place, though, Anderson was asleep, and first mate Alfred Toftenus was in command, although there were standing orders that he was to wake up the captain either when they were six miles of Pointe-au-Pere or Father Point, or if they encountered fog. Toftenus had also been working on the ship for about three years. On May 29, 1914, as the Empress of Ireland was traveling toward the Atlantic Ocean on the St. Lawrence River, the Storstad was heading in the opposite direction, carrying roughly 10,400 tons of coal from Sydney, Nova Scotia to Montreal. Ships traveling this stretch of the St. Lawrence River used a river pilot to help navigate around Quebec City. When the two ships collided, the Empress of Ireland had left Quebec City and had just dropped its pilot off at Pointe-au-Pere. The Storstad was heading to Pointe-au-Pere to pick up its pilot before heading toward Quebec City. So both of the ships were on the south side of the river, fairly close to the shore. Navigating this stretch of the river could be treacherous. The river became significantly narrower, busier, and more crowded the closer it got to Quebec City. Beyond that, though, especially at this time of the year, it was prone to sudden, dense fog as warmer air came into contact with cold river water that was made even colder by runoff from melting ice and snow. These conditions could change extremely rapidly, and that is what happened on May 29, 1914. When these two ships spotted each other, the weather was fine and clear, but just a few minutes later, fog completely cut off their line of sight. We'll get to that after we take a quick sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the 
the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out season two of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As we said before the break, at a little after 1 a.m. on May 29, 1914, the weather was clear and fine on the St. Lawrence River near Pointe au Pere, which today is part of the city of Rimouski. At 1.20 a.m., pilot Adelard Bernier, who had guided the Empress of Ireland out of Quebec City, disembarked onto a tug to take him to shore. Not long afterward, the crew of the Empress of Ireland spotted the masthead lights of a steamer that was about six miles away. That steamer was the Storstad, which was on its way to pick up its pilot. The masthead light is one of the lights on a ship that lets other vessels know where it is and where it's going. There are a number of different lights and configurations, all of which have their own meanings. The most critical ones to understanding what happened to the Empress of Ireland are the masthead light and the side lights. 
The masthead light is a white light that shines from the forward part of the ship in a 225-degree arc, making the ship visible to other vessels it's traveling toward. The side lights are red and green, green on the starboard side and red on the port side. The Empress of Ireland set a course that would take it past the Storstad so that they would pass starboard side to starboard side, i.e. green to green. But when the vessels were about two miles apart, a heavy fog developed over the river. Aboard the Empress of Ireland, Captain Henry Kendall ordered the engines full astern, basically putting them into reverse to stop the ship. The Empress of Ireland also sounded a signal on the ship's whistle to let the other ship know that they had gone astern. The Empress of Ireland heard the Storstad answer with a blast from its own whistle, and then, based on accounts, they repeated this set of signals. When the Empress of Ireland was fully stopped, it sounded two blasts on the whistle to inform the Storstad that it was no longer moving. According to accounts from the crew of the Storstad, just before the fog obscured their view of the Empress of Ireland, the first mate, Alfred Toftenes, saw the green navigation lights. But then they said the Empress of Ireland changed course and that the red lights were visible, and that only the red navigation lights were visible when the fog cut off their view. So the crew of the Storstad thought that they were going to be passing the Empress of Ireland red to red or port to port, not starboard to starboard, green to green. It is not possible for both of these accounts to be true. The report of the Commission of Inquiry into this disaster describes them as irreconcilable, and a lot of the testimony about which lights were showing, which signals were given and heard from the ship's whistles, and which ship had the right-of-way are contradictory and confusing. But if both of the ships had maintained their original headings at this point, they would have passed by one another in the fog with no issue. Aboard the Storstad, as the fog closed in, Toftenus ordered the helm hard to port. So the use of port is a little confusing here. At the time, ship commands were given using what's known as tiller orders, which were a carryover from when ships were steered by a tiller that was connected to the rudder. Moving the tiller hard to port caused the ship to turn starboard. In some of the testimony before the commission, people said this turn was to try to counteract a shift in the current and keep the ship on its original course. But during the inquiry, C.S. Haight, one of the counselors for the owners of the Storstad, said that Toftenus had told him that they made the turn so that they could give the Empress of Ireland more room. If the ships had been passing one another port to port, as the crew of the Storstad apparently believed that they were, this would have given the Empress of Ireland more room. But they were passing starboard to starboard, so when the Storstad made this turn, it headed right for the Empress of Ireland. It was after giving this order that Toftenus woke Thomas Anderson, the captain of the Storstad. Anderson arrived on the bridge to see the lights of the Empress of Ireland coming out of the fog between 600 and 800 feet away. And on the Empress of Ireland, just after sounding the two blasts on the whistle signaling that they had stopped, Kendall also saw the lights of the Storstad approaching the Empress of Ireland at almost a right angle. Anderson ordered the Storstad to go full astern to try to slow it down. Kendall thought a collision was inevitable and ordered the Empress of Ireland to go full speed ahead and to try to turn away from the Storstad. The hope was that the two ships if they did this, would glance off of each other. 
Instead, the Storstad hit the Empress of Ireland toward the middle of the ship, almost head-on, roughly 30 seconds after Anderson had seen the ship through the fog. Kendall hailed the Storstad by megaphone and ordered them to go full speed ahead with the hope of keeping both ships together and beaching the Empress of Ireland on the southern shore of the St. Lawrence River. Anderson answered that he was going ahead full speed, but the two ships did not stay together as Kendall had hoped. Anderson believed this was because of the speed at which the Empress of Ireland was moving by that point. The Storstad just could not keep up, and its bow fell away from the hole it had made in the side of the Empress of Ireland. It had not felt like that hard of a collision when it happened, but the Storstad had a very pointed bow that made an enormous hole in the side of the Empress of Ireland, at least 14 feet wide, and a lot of that was below the waterline. So water immediately started filling the lower decks of the ship, and rushing through open portholes that fell below the waterline as the ship started to tilt. Anderson was afraid the momentum and direction of the two vessels would cause them to collide a second time, so he turned away and essentially made a circle. The Storstad sounded several signals on its whistle, but did not get a response from the Empress of Ireland. The Storstad was once again completely enveloped in fog, and briefly could not figure out where the Empress of Ireland was. That changed when the crew started hearing people calling for help in the water. In addition to hailing the Storstad, Kendall had taken other emergency measures as soon as he saw the other ship through the fog. He ordered the telegraph operators to send a distress call, and they were able to do so before the ship lost power. He sounded an emergency siren to order the crew to close the watertight doors and prepare to abandon ship and he ordered the stewards to start waking up the passengers and distributing life belts. But the ship sank so quickly that there was almost no time to do any of this, and once the power was out, people were trying to evacuate in total darkness. Many passengers in the lower decks drowned in their cabins. The ship started listing so sharply that many of the watertight doors could not be closed, and only five or six of the 40 lifeboats were launched, and one of those was crushed when the ship fell onto its side. The ship fell onto its side within 10 minutes of the collision. For a few minutes after that, surviving passengers tried to stand on the exposed hull of the ship, but the Empress of Ireland sank about 14 minutes after being struck by the Storstead. We'll talk about rescue efforts and the impact of this disaster after we pause for a sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. 
And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the crew of the Storstad started hearing people in the water, Captain Thomas Anderson moved toward those sounds and then lowered four lifeboats. Those boats went back and forth between the Storstad and the survivors, bringing people back with them. The station at Puente Pere also sent two government steamers, the Lady Evelyn and the Eureka, to rescue survivors. Survivors were all taken to Ramuski, where they were fed and sheltered and given medical treatment. In addition to any injuries that people might have sustained while trying to evacuate, the water was extremely cold, so a lot of people had developed hypothermia. There had been 1,477 people on board the Empress of Ireland, and only 465 survived its sinking, including only four of the 138 children aboard. Of the 1,012 people who died when the ship sank, 840 were passengers, which is more than the number of passenger deaths aboard the Titanic or the Lusitania. 172 of the crew died. Many of those crew were from Liverpool, and many had Irish ancestry. 124 members of the Salvation Army died, including much of its leadership of Salvation Army in Canada and 29 of the 41-member Salvation Army staff band. 
Actor Lawrence Irving died after diving back into the water to try to find his wife, Mabel Hackney. Neither of their bodies was ever found. About half of the survivors were members of the crew, people who were more familiar with the layout of the ship than the passengers, who had only been aboard for about 10 hours. First and second-class passengers, whose cabins were higher up on the ship, were more likely to survive than the third-class passengers, whose cabins were below, many in areas of the ship that flooded almost instantly. One of the survivors of this disaster was a crew member named William Clark, who had also survived the sinking of the Titanic. He had actually worked as a fireman on both ships. The youngest person known to have survived and the last known survivor was Grace Hannigan, who was seven and whose parents had been part of the Salvation Army group. Her parents were both killed and Grace died in 1995. Despite the damage to its bow, the Storstad was still mostly seaworthy. After assisting with the rescue effort, it continued on to Montreal. Canadian Pacific Line later filed a $2 million lawsuit against the Storstad's owners, and the ship was forfeited to Canadian Pacific as compensation. It was later sunk by a German submarine off the coast of Ireland during World War I. The fact that it continued on to Montreal sounds kind of, I don't know, uh... Callous? Callous, uh, but, like, during the investigations, it was remarked that, like, the the Storstad had acted admirably during the rescue effort, and it, like, there wasn't a reason for them to stay there at that point. Canadian Pacific hired a salvage company to retrieve the first-class mail from the wreck of the Empress of Ireland, as well as the purser's safe and about $150,000 worth of silver bullion that was aboard. They also recovered about 250 bodies. To access the interior of the ship, divers actually had to blast another hole into its side because the hole made by the Storstad was on the side of the ship that was resting on the bottom of the St. Lawrence River. That was not a hole they could get to. An attempt was made to refloat the vessel in June, but it could not be lifted from the river. Because this collision had happened so suddenly and the ship sank so quickly, It wasn't obvious at first what had happened and who, if anyone, should be considered at fault. Although Kendall, who was picked up by one of the Storstad's lifeboats, reportedly shouted, quote, you have sunk my ship at Anderson as soon as he was brought aboard. A commission of inquiry was convened from June 16th to June 27th, 1914. John Charles Bingham, Lord Mercy, presided over this inquiry, which he had also done for the inquiry into the sinking of the Titanic and would later do for the sinking of the Lusitania. As we mentioned earlier, the testimonies that were given by crew members from each of these ships just did not match up, and there were also no living witnesses who had actually seen the damage to the ship before the Empress of Ireland sank, wasn't something divers had been able to investigate because the ship had come to rest on the damaged side. And then beyond all that, a number of people who testified before the commission speculated on various equipment that might have malfunctioned or steps that might have been taken, but a lot of this was contradictory, and the commission didn't really find any of it to be valid. After weighing the evidence, the commission found that the officers in charge of both ships had committed navigational errors, and that first mate Alfred Toftenes should have summoned the Storstad's captain earlier because of the fog. Toftenes had said that he had not done so because he just didn't think there was any danger. 
The commission also believed that Toftanes had been mistaken in his assessment that the Empress of Ireland was intending to pass the Storstad port to port, and that if each ship had maintained its original set course, they would not have collided. In the words of the commission's final report, quote, we regret to have to impute blame to anyone in connection with this lamentable disaster, and we should not do so if we felt that any reasonable alternative was left to us. We can, however, come to no other conclusion than that Mr. Toftinus was wrong and negligent in altering his course in the fog as he undoubtedly did, and that he was wrong and negligent in keeping the navigation of the vessel in his own hands and in failing to call the captain when he saw the fog coming in. We don't really know what happened to Toftinus after this. We do know that he died in New York on April 19, 1918, at the age of 36. In later interviews, family members said that he believed he had been unfairly blamed for the tragedy. Unlike some of the other shipwrecks we've talked about on the show, this wasn't the case where major changes were made to try to prevent a similar disaster in the future, like requirements for safety drills and lifeboat capacity that were established after the sinking of the Titanic. This really seems to have been a case of tragic human error rather than evidence of, like, a big systemic problem that needed to be corrected. But the commission did recommend that ships close all their watertight doors and portholes at night and in the fog and other hazardous weather as a preventive measure. Because so few of the Empress of Ireland's lifeboats had successfully deployed and some of the ones that did deploy had injured people as they kind of careened around the listing ship, the commission also recommended lifeboats be placed on upper decks in a way that they could just float free in the event that the ship sank. The commission also recommended that changes be made to how ships picked up and dropped off their pilots on the St. Lawrence River to reduce the need for them to cross paths so close to one another. This shipwreck had similarities to another one that took place decades later in 1956, the Andrea Doria, which has also been on Tracy's shortlist for a while. But that one's actually on the list because it's not a story of a massive tragedy. The Andrea Doria collided with the Stockholm in the fog off the coast of Nantucket, and like the Empress of Ireland, it listed in a way that prevented many of its lifeboats from being deployed. But more than 1,600 of the Andrea Doria's 1,706 passengers and crew were rescued. The 46 passengers from the Andrea Doria and five crew from the Stockholm who were killed all died as a result of the collision itself. Today, the wreck of the Empress of Ireland is in water that's only about 130 feet or 40 meters deep, and that's right at the maximum recommended depth for recreational scuba divers. It's really only appropriate for experienced divers. The water is very cold, currents are variable, and visibility can be difficult. The interior of the wreck can also be treacherous, and the conditions inside it can change as silt is deposited in there by the river. No one has known to have dived to the wreck of the Empress of Ireland between the end of the salvage operation in 1914 and 1964. Uh, I think a big reason for this was just more accessible diving technology, but at least six people have died on attempted dives to the wreck since 1964. For decades, the wreck wasn't protected in any way, and a lot of divers brought back objects with them. Some who were basically collecting souvenirs for themselves, but others who were hoping to preserve them. 
Philippe Baudry, not to be confused with the Canadian Olympic fencer of the same name, amassed a collection of about 500 items from the wreck and made headlines in the early 2000s when he obtained a permit to sell this collection outside of Canada. At that point, he had been looking for a Canadian buyer for some time, but with no success. Alberta resident Marion Kelch established the Empress of Ireland Artifacts Committee to buy individual objects from Baudry's collection as it raised the funds to do so, and eventually Edmonton's Royal Alberta Museum started accepting the purchased items to add to its collections. Then, in 2012, it was announced that the Canadian Museum of Civilization would be renamed the Canadian Museum of History and that it was buying the entire remaining collection. The museum had an exhibition called Canada's Titanic, the Empress of Ireland, and that ran from May of 2014 to April of 2015, alongside the disaster's 100th anniversary. And that exhibit displayed many of these objects. Since 1999, the wreck site of the Empress of Ireland has been designated as a historical and archaeological property. That designation was made to try to protect it. Removing items from the wreck is now prohibited. The site is marked with a white buoy with a sign about its protected status, and divers are still permitted to go there as long as they follow all the applicable regulations. There is also an Empress of Ireland Museum at Pointe-au-Pere Maritime Historic Site, which is also home to an Empress of Ireland monument and a mass grave of some of the wreck's victims. There is also a monument at Mount Hermon Cemetery in Quebec City. Both monuments commemorate both named and unidentified victims of the tragedy. The Salvation Army erected a monument at Toronto's Mount Pleasant Cemetery, and there is also a memorial at Thurston Gardens in Suva, Fiji, commemorating Gabriel J. Marks, first mayor of Suva, who was one of the people who died in the wreck. There are other markers and monuments to the wreck and other burial sites as well, and a display about the Empress of Ireland at the Maritime Museum at National Museums Liverpool. As we said at the top of the show, this tragedy happened within just a year or two of the sinking of the Titanic and of the Lusitania, and more than a thousand people died in each of these disasters. But those other two are way more widely known than the Empress of Ireland is. One reason is that World War I started on July 28, 1914, when Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia, so That was just a couple of months after the Empress of Ireland sank, and it really overshadowed anything about the tragedy. Another is that, unlike the Titanic, the Empress of Ireland wasn't carrying just an inordinate number of wealthy and famous passengers. Most of them were just, like, regular middle-class and working-class people. And unlike the Lusitania, its sinking did not spark international outrage or eventually contribute to the United States becoming directly involved in World War I. Canadian history also often doesn't get as much attention as that of other nations, in part because of its relative size and power. For example, when the Empress of Ireland sank, Canada's total population was about 8 million people, compared to more than 98 million people in the U.S. or more than 7 million people just in the city of London, England. That said, Canada's relatively smaller population meant that this tragedy was an enormous loss and that it had a direct impact on a lot of families and communities all across the country and to communities in Liverpool and in parts of Ireland, where a lot of members of the crew were from. Before its sinking, the ship also carried roughly 117,000 immigrants from Europe 
to Canada. It's estimated that about a million Canadians living today are descended from someone who arrived aboard the Empress of Ireland. Yeah. I will say the Canadian history not getting as much attention as other parts of the world is also true of our podcast. We are aware. (laughs) Uh, It is for many of these same reasons uh, that plus, you know, our own listener demographics. Uh, People ask for things a lot of the time that are connected to where they are from. Um, This has been a downer week. Do you have listener mail that's not so depressing? Uh, I did not pick sad mail at all. Uh, This is from Jamie. Jamie wrote after our most recent Unearthed episodes, which of course also inspired this episode. Jamie wrote, Hello, Holly and Tracy. I just listened to the latest Unearthed episodes and found a small way I could be helpful. I am a former German translator, and when Tracy mentioned reading English articles that said that the coin had been found in a sandbox, but the videos in German seemed to indicate otherwise, I knew this was my time to shine. I watched a couple German-language videos about the find, and the boy found the coin on school grounds, but not in a sandbox. As he was walking on a sidewalk nearing an entrance to the school, something shiny in the dirt next to the sidewalk caught his eye. This is the third such coin to be found in Bremen, which is really interesting because Marcus Aurelius's empire never extended that far north, but people would travel to or resettle there and use the coins to trade with. There was also a silver shortage at the time this coin was made, which makes it even more rare and special. I'm here for all your German needs. Thank you for keeping me entertained and educated during my many long drives for work. Jamie talks about being on the road quite a bit and then says, I have two horses. I hope they are acceptable as pet tax. The brown one is an off-the-track thoroughbred named Roger. The white one is my now-retired draft cross named Vanity. Let me tell you, I'm excited about some horse pictures. I love a horse picture. Um, we got, uh, we got. I don't remember who sent an email recently, but we got an email from someone recently who was like, "What's pet tax? I feel bad. I don't have any." That's just a thing that we on the internet say about sending sending pet pictures. Uh, it's not a real tax. You're you're not required to send us pet pictures, but you know we do love them. I will also say. And I'm scared to say this because you might be like, no, thank you. You can send me anything for pet tax. If you have a pet spider, send it over. But I don't know if Tracy feels the same. No, that's fine. Sure, sure. (laughs) Pet snake, I'm in. I want all the animals. Also good. Yeah. Um, You know, I cannot think of an animal I would be upset, you know, uh, as long as we're talking about living, cared-for animals. <laughs> Please do not send us, like, horrific animal death pictures. That would be very upsetting. Uh, but, like, any animal, totally fine. Also, craft projects, art projects, pretty sunsets, you know, whatever. If you want to send us a picture, something that brought you some joy, that's great. Thank you so much, Jamie. This was indeed your time to shine. Uh, this aligns with what I was watching in this news report where I was like, this does not look like this child was digging in like a constructed sandbox. That just looks like the dirt. Uh, so I'm glad to know that uh, all of the English language news reporting, I'm assuming somebody, like there was maybe a Google Translate problem or like one person came up with sandbox and it just spread from there. Uh, so thank you so much, Jamie, for this. And I mean, just great, great horse pictures. Um if you'd like to send us a note about this or any other podcast or a history podcast at iHeartRadio.com 
We're on social media at Missed in History. Uh, you can subscribe to our show also on the iHeartRadio app or wherever else you'd like to get your podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple. Affordable. Reliable. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.